0: Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: Welcome to season 18, episode 26, Powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide in Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level at Junior Prospect Once again, this is our player development segment in building an NHL player with Pat Malloy. Pat, thanks for coming on. We always appreciate it. And the topic and player this week is Jake McCabe. And what's interesting is his last year at University of Wisconsin, he played seven games with Buffalo. And then the following year in 2014-15, which is was his first year full pro, was your first year working in player development with Buffalo. And talk about, because you were there for three years, in his most, I think, most um, formative years. Because if you don't take the next step, take the right steps in those first two years of pro it's really a hindrance um and the probability of you making a full career you know drops like a rock talk about his process and what you what you worked on with him in because i'm really interested to get your thoughts on those first two formative years of his development
2: yeah yeah you know thinking back to those days i mean obviously he was a uh well thought out prospect within Buffalo system. And, you know, sort of the orders that, that came down to me from the top at the time was, was, you know, GM Tim Murray was really wanted to make sure we took the steps with him to ensure that, you know, he rounded out and became the player that everyone thought he would. So, you know, looking back at the, you know, the sessions and the different things that we would do with him, a lot of it, you know, early on revolved around just footwork and the simplicity of which, you know, ironing out some of the things that you'd get away at the division one level with um, that you wouldn't at the pro level. And so cleaning up and and really drilling out footwork to create, you know, just real sound process on things like coming out of pivots and closing space and, um, you know, recognizing how to close plays off with your feet um, and and really encouraging all of those sort of um, binary pro habits that, you know, to the naked eye, you look at them and you don't recognize them, but you recognize when you see, you know, something doesn't feel right or when someone moves really well, it was always really just laying that foundation for a good long career at the pro level terms of just movement skills, deception skills to create possession exit entries and those sorts of things. And, um, really enjoyed my time was, was a great, you know, kid to work with at that time, especially, um, just really keen and, and, and put the time into it and, um, you know, I, I think what you've seen now is he's rounded out into a real, you know, solid National Hockey League defenseman. Pat, but- but you mentioned the
3: skating. Uh, when it comes to developing a defensive specialist, essentially one that has to use his frame as often as he does, how much of the process is for him to develop the ability to recognize? Uh, postural cues from the offense who's coming down on him? Because you you mentioned the skating, and obviously that's extremely important and very good for recovery windows. But how do you go about the process of making sure he recognizes
2: what the offensive player is actually attempting to do? Um, You know, great question. The the concepts for us would, would certainly start with creating situational footwork where you're leading them to your strength. Um, so that you start to recognize cues where I've now limited opportunity for mobility to work against me um, was one of the things we would do. So we'd be a little bit more proactive in terms of how we set versus reactionary to an attacking player. Not unlike I would with an offensive player where, you know, we're trying to get a defenseman to do something with their feet that they don't want to do. Well, vice versa, you know, as a defenseman, if you've established proper angle, if you've established proper positioning, Um, with quality footwork habits what it does is it starts to tilt the pendulum in in your favor and that now i'm trained to recognize all right i've I've limited opportunity for this this and this to hurt me um you know now they're dependent on a hand skill or or you know a change of pace that i've taken away opportunity for um and that really starts to tilt the um you know the 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 play into my favor as a defenseman that you know
1: Brad had mentioned about the specialization and something that we have talked about continuously with defensemen as we're evaluating younger defensemen. And we're looking at it, you know, from Jake McCabe's standpoint, nine years ago, and has he developed and evolved into, as Brad and I and you and I talk about is what, what do you do and how do you evaluate the potential success of a six foot one defenseman who's 200 pounds, but doesn't do anything great but does everything good in an age of specialization. He is really the Swiss army knife. And is he the prototypical defenseman that we can look to and say, Oh, how, what do we do with this type of player moving forward? Is that answer? Jake McCabe.
2: Yeah. To to some degree. I mean, you know, thinking of last week's segment, we talked about a younger player somewhat similar in, in sort of makeup, um, you know, in, in Donovan Sobrango. So yeah, I mean, I think it it really becomes a thing where you know recognizing what you can be, recognizing what your most effective path um, or your your highest percentage path to effectiveness will be at the you know the National Hockey League level, and you know with Jake again just skates well, um, but not you know ridiculously dynamic per se um again puck skills adequate but but again not ridiculously dynamic um however you know there's there's probably 30 or 31 other teams that would love to have a player like that in the roster so it's it's really recognizing how can i contribute in the highest percentage way possible play an efficient enough game that i bring net positive value to each play that i'm involved in whether that becomes you know in a shutdown capacity or a transitional capacity um it's very telling that you know, you see Toronto acquire a player like that, and and I think we know that, you know, Toronto is is very much into net positive plays in the way that they approach, you know, the, the way their team is built to play in terms of transition hockey and in terms of, um, you know, the way they'll defend with the idea of getting a puck back, and that tells you everything you need to know in terms of of you know the thought process behind it, Jake McCabe and that, you know, he's able to make net positive plays, and and often those aren't the the most appealing to the eye plays. It's always the it's the simplicity of of the way that plays are made that that you know he's a conduit to things driving and that you know it's not this big dynamic movement um, or this this huge body check that changes the pendulum of a game. Um, there's just a lot of net positive things to like about his movements, the angles that he takes, the reliability and and the understanding of of how he defends it allows, you know, his team to earn the puck back and, and ultimately when you have the puck, you can go re-attack.
3: When you get a player like this, how much is emphasized in terms of the retrieval and exits? Because if he's a shutdown, player which is a shot blocking specialist physical presence like so much of his game is based off of being able to just get that first pass out very quickly he's not playing without it so from your perspective from a development perspective how much do you weight that what what goes into that thought process of like do you have like a a specific layout of like five or six very you know, just theoretically five or six things that you're looking at, but then you know that that one specific skill is the absolute critical key component. So you make sure that that
2: is where he implements most of his time when you first get him. You know, thinking back to those days and, and organizationally looking at where Buffalo was at the time in terms of, you know, how they were stocked with defensemen, um, the defensemen that we had in the system. One of the first things, you know, in, in my talks and in, in that planning was, time saved is time earned. So the ability to take a puck that's um, a contestable puck and turn it into a positive net play, be it, you know, obviously possession exit is, is option a, um, but improving the ability to go back, get a puck and, you know, have it go the other way in a way that our team could succeed from it was one of the sort of staple skills that the defensemen that, that I would encounter at that level would work because, you know, if, if it, we're a team that can improve by 10% going back and getting a puck, 20% going back and getting a puck and having something positive happen from it because of the habits that we had developed. Um, you know, that those are sizable numbers over the course of a year. So for me, it was certainly a staple skill for young defensemen at that level, coming into an American hockey league setting. And then, you know, onto the national hockey league, the the foundation that you pour in terms of your ability to, incur conflict and make a net positive play off of a retrieval was a a signature a staple thing that we would work on quite frequently because you know is there such a thing as too good at that the answer is no you can always continually improve sight lines scanning the ice um, changes of pace deception um, just speed getting back to a puck with the idea that the time I save in the retrieval process is time we earn as a group to be able to make a, a positive net you know, next net play. Um, So those were, you know, all the time things. So if I was, you know, in that particular setting, you know, once every seven to 10 days uh, at minimum, those would be things we'd touch on each time for sure.
1: Great insight. Once again, Pat, want to thank you very much for coming on the show talking about, you know, building an NHL player in discussion about Jake McCabe, so we're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect. Right. we come back, uh, we'll continue to talk about prospects right after these important messages.
4: Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide, trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Instat's video editing tools. Visit Instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics.
0: You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: We're back on Hockey Prospect Radio, powered by Instat Hockey, offered the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We now have Jason Buchla our our Scouts Perspective segment. Jason, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. No problem, fellas.
7: Thanks for having me.
1: Uh, The topic this week is how much does character and past behavior impact a player's value going into the NHL draft based on, you know, recent history of things that have gone on with prospects and their past behavior. I think the topic is appropriate because it just, it makes all of us in this industry just reminds us of how much background work we have to do and how important it is to pay attention when we're talking to people, listening to people and speaking to individual prospects.
7: Yeah, I totally agree with that. It, it's a situation in today's world where my advice to any prospect coming through the system when I, let's just say I'm doing a, a talk with a minor midget team, for example, and they want to know, you know, how they can get to the next level. And, you know, I'd always, you know, they always talk about skills and uh, you know their development and skating and all this other stuff. One of the things that we have to touch on is, you know, your social media presence, for sure, is one thing. Um, you know, you have to assume these kids nowadays, and I'm only using social media as one example, but uh, you have to assume that whatever you send out there, whether it be a picture, a quote, uh, something on Twitter, Instagram, all these things that these kids are on, just assume that the whole world's going to read it. Because um, assuming otherwise is a dangerous, uh, it's a double-edged sword for you. And um, so that's one side of it. Um, the other one of course is that um, you know if you uh, are going to project yourself to be an elite athlete you're going to have to start at a very young age uh, projecting yourself to be an elite uh, person as well um, because that realm that you're living in uh, requires a certain type of character to carry yourself you're always going to be under the microscope so the amount of work, uh, guys, that goes into that now, I want to say that we've always done it. I would say that we have to do it even more today because of the way the world is.
3: Uh, Jason, where do you think we are as an industry when it comes to the psychological screening of players? You know, We've seen a lot of players, really talented players, get drafted high and then they end up on a different team real quick. Uh, names that come to mind immediately, me, Tony D'Angelo, Ryan uh, Merkley on San Jose, you know, players that are tremendously talented, but then there was definitely off ice concerns. And then those concerns have led in those two instances. And there's several others to immediate trades or maybe a a player like um, um, a player that is, is known to start a side business. I know I talked to one director of scouting and uh, he had a player who was, Who's starting a secondary project while still trying to become a pro NHLer? or what do you think of, of a situation like that? Where are you when it comes to that?
7: Well, I'll answer the last one first. And that is that, um, <clears throat> depending on like there, there Michael delzato is an example of an NHL player that in recent years has been fighting to keep his status in the league, if you will. Um, and I know that, uh, in the off season that he went out and got his, uh, real estate license in the state of Florida. And, you know, he's got that going on on the side. Um, I have no issues with that whatsoever. As a matter of fact, I think that it's looking uh, down the road that if this doesn't work out that I better have this is, you know, you can almost say that, you know, uh, a prospect, uh, who wants to be a hockey player and he's still going to school on the side to earn his degree. Like, is there anything the matter with that? So my short answer to both those scenarios is I don't find a problem with that. Um, the other part of it, though, that you mentioned, you mentioned a couple of players specifically, um, you know, the due diligence that goes into the the process to draft those kids, everybody was aware of some of the issues for those two individuals coming out of junior hockey. Um, it was no secret. One, you know, the the D'Angelo scenario, that one was, you know, even more uh, loud, if you will, than, than most. Um, so if you're going to take the risk to... Um, select a player like that. you better have the infrastructure in place to groom the product and um, and get him to buy in. So not every organization has it, Brad. I can tell you that for certain. I mean the uh, the psychological side of it, um, the preparation that goes into uh, you know the mindset of the athlete, it's evolving, and I think that it's got a long way to go with 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 most NHL franchises.
1: It's interesting you brought that up because in conversations in the series of segments we did with Dr. Kevin Willis specifically about that, when he, he wrote a book, Great Grind in Mind, about the evaluation process of young players and what mental and emotional attributes they have and where their strengths or weaknesses lie, and then how to help in terms of building those weaknesses up a little bit, but really emphasizing the strengths. How much farther along do you think we need to push the industry internally inside of hockey operations where we can take that information and actually integrate it with, you know, the skills component um, and all the other aspects bio, you know, obviously the, the biological like component of it as well. And biometrics, how far along do you think we are in that process of integrating more of that information?
7: We're not even close to far enough. along, lot shade, not even close. And, for me personally, if I was running a team right now, one of the things that I would do on the player development side, and this this individual would be um, integrated in the um, in the scouting meeting process. It would uh, the individual would be involved in the uh, uh, preliminary pro entry process. So you know, uh, the, the kids' first training camps, uh, the development pool, uh, when they go back to junior college and then minor pro, whatever, we need somebody in player development who can monitor, these social anxieties and the setbacks that these people, these young athletes face today, because I find more than ever, um, there's a lot more moving parts that enter their, their mindset and they're not prepared to fail um, as well. It's kind of a, it's a contradiction because I don't think they're prepared enough to have a bad day today compared to even 15 years ago, like bad days for these kids coming through nowadays are far and few between. And when they do uh, get to the stage that, you know, they really have to dig in or there's a lot of distraction, they're not really prepared for it. And so um, all teams need to do a better job of managing that. Um, I can say for certain that I wish I would have had somebody in our stable that did more of that when I was uh, most recently in Florida. When
3: you were with Florida, from a personal perspective, how much of your interview process focused on these specific types of questions?
7: Uh, well, um, I would say that we um, we made every attempt to find out as much as we possibly could within the structure of—I don't want to say the rules, but the the uh, the expected structure that the league um, allows you to operate in. So there's certain things there. There's a ter- there's an area of questioning that you really can't go into, right? Because it's um, you know it gets a little personal and there could be way more moving parts than than I'm aware of so um i would say this that um uh, past coaches at the junior level for drafting the athlete or their managers um uh you know the general manager um and certainly their agents like they will they will talk um you know to us and 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 say you know try and give us a little bit more insight and and it's difficult because Brad, when they get in the room, some of these kids have never had a job interview before, right? And imagine they're struggling with anxiety or they're struggling with certain things. Like, in front of six or eight of us, they're already nervous. How much can I get out of them in that situation? Because they're already uncomfortable. So, I guess my my long answer is it's delicate, but we try to to do our best, obviously.
1: How much do you think in the future that this type of invest in, in not only this type of investigation, but having people in place who in your player development department that work in conjunction, not in silos, but work in conjunction with your amateur staff and pro staff and your player development staff and your I think your analytics staff, because you have to be able to wait and metric this properly is to hire people that have PhD level um, expertise in this area, but also have a hockey background. I know that there's not that many people who do, who have that, but trying to find somebody who's not just strictly a sports psychologist, but understands the game itself, but also the culture of the game, because that's just an, it's so interwoven in that respect.
7: Yeah. I would have to circle back with you in terms of having to have them have intimate knowledge of the game. I think that more importantly, um, uh similar to we don't have intimate knowledge of how they conduct their 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 process you know like how they can understand a person whether it be an athlete or otherwise i don't have that type of expertise i don't really need them to have the expertise so much as a hockey player i need them to be able able to identify things that are going to be roadblocks for the athlete as he develops or even if he's already a pro so um i guess the best way for me to put it shane is that it's a it's a it's a gaping hole that I think needs to be filled in every organization in the league. I think some have done it. I don't think everybody's done it, um, but I think it's an important role that should be uh, – it's a spot that needs to be filled. It's, it would be a very smart hire, a very good investment. It's
1: just one of the things that was just interesting because Brad and I had obviously had Dr. Kevin Willis on the show uh, for like two straight years discussing different aspects of this particular discussion we're having – and just in his case, he happened to be have his level five coaching and coach junior being the States and all his clients are only hockey players. Just for me about from a clinical standpoint, like if you understand the culture within that person lives in, I think that provides just even more understanding of this is what he deals with, but this is what he's going into. And then the people that are con- like on the other side, the obviously the hockey team that's interviewing him. He understands them as well in a more intimate way than just a general clinical standpoint.
7: Yeah, I think that, uh, I think he would be a unicorn would be my short answer. And so if you as an organization can go in search of those unicorns and grab them before somebody else does, uh, you're ahead of the game. Um, I would hope that uh, whoever, when you run out of unicorns and you have to hire the next person in line, I hope that they're smart enough that they can adapt and they're going to look around and say, okay, I understand this culture. Uh, for what it is and uh, and I can adjust as well. So I think that, you know, even before getting ahead of it to say that this would be the perfect candidate, the perfect type of scenario, the first thing that all the teams have to realize is that here's a situation that we, I believe is an important uh, hire. This is a department that should be uh, addressed. And then you go from there, you know, you address it or you, you identify it and now let's go find the candidates. And I'd be interested to see if we circle back the three of us even a year from now, uh, how many of those unicorns get hired by uh, different franchises.
1: That's uh, going to be fascinating. Uh, Jason, once again, thank you very much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it and look forward to speaking to you next week. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. That's Jason Buchler. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back right after these messages.
4: Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide, trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics.
0: Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio.
1: Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We're back, empowered by Instat Hockey, often the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. So we're with Mike, we're with Mike McMahon from the College Hockey News. Uh, if you don't get a chance to um, read his Substack, it's awesome. Like keeps me up to date for all the NCAA hockey that's going on. So, Mike, always appreciate that you put that out. It uh, saves me a lot of time and work. Um, then I don't have to, like, search around for things. So I uh, always appreciate that. Now, last night's games, because uh, we're co- recording this on Friday morning from the Frozen Four, so let's talk about the first game right off the hop in university of Minnesota and Boston university. And we had talked about this last week about this matchup and that Minnesota was the favorite coming in. I, I don't think that was a surprise to anybody and BU, I'm actually, I was impressed. They made it this far. I'm not saying they're not a ba- like, they're not a bad team, but they played, they punched above their weight in some respects because of injuries and then sometimes you don't exactly know what you're getting the Drew Comesso in terms of being in net. Sometimes, you know what he is? He's like the little girl with the curl. When he's good, he's very, very good. And when he's not, he's just like incredibly inconsistent. And I thought last night looking at the game, there was moments where he saved their ass. Like it could have been 4-1, 4 in the first period. And that game was, there's no chance. Um, yes, there was a couple posts. There was that. You know, the glove with the puck, well, we couldn't quite 100% see. But, you know, if I was a betting man, I'm I'm betting that went over the line. But good for him for covering up. There's a lot of traffic in there. So, you know, he did it the right way. So, But looking at the overall game, what were some of the things that really stood out to you and why Minnesota eventually, I think over time, just took the game? They just did it by incrementally taking over the game and just knocked BU out.
8: Yeah, and and I think they frustrated them too. That's where you saw seven power plays. I mean, you can't. Yeah. Good luck beating Minnesota if you're going to give them seven power plays. They scored three power play goals, but it wasn't just seven power plays. It was a one minute five on three to close out the second, and then a charging penalty right at the end of the period. So another one minute five on three to start the third. Minnesota basically had two full minutes of five on three. They didn't score on the five on three, but, but a couple wore of everybody later, out. Exactly. A couple seconds later, it's still five on four. That's where Middlestad got his first goal, the third, which put him up three to two and, and Middlestad added another one a couple of minutes later, four to two, and then a couple of empty netters at the end there from from Cooley that was just on. Um, but that that was to me that they wore him down. And you saw it with the penalties because BU got frustrated. They were behind plays a little bit. And, and all of a sudden, it was kind of a parade to the box at the end of the second, beginning of the third. And it just they never gave themselves a chance.
1: Yeah, one of the things that really jumped out to me in terms of BU was like the defense core just couldn't seem to keep up. And it's not necessarily in terms of, you know, skating ability, but it's also body position and consistency with their defensive habits. And I just found that they were like defensively as the core, they were chasing the play a lot. And it also once the play goes below the dots, that's it's really hard for that BU defense to defend because they're not the biggest group. And they're not the most stalwarts in terms of defense. They're really more transitional defense, defensemen and offensive defensemen. So when things get pinned down low and you already got big bodies in front of the net, I found that defense core struggles. And that's something to be said when, of course, you're going to recruit high-end players, but you're going to need some bigger bodies. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you need some defensive defensemen back there to like break up plays and break up cycle and clear the net.
8: Yeah, and that's where I think they they really miss Case McCarthy, who got hurt yes. in the hockey semifinals. Uh, Devils fourth round pick. He's a senior. He's big. He's strong. You know, that's a guy that could have matched up with a Matthew Nyes pretty well down low. Now Nyes only had one point. I think he had an assist on one of the empty netters at the end of the game, but it doesn't mean that he wasn't impactful. Like you know, and he's a right. big, strong kid who can bully his way around the offensive zone. And and Cade Weber did a pretty good job when he was one-on-one with him but overall you know nice was able to bully his way to pucks win a lot of puck battles the the second goal i think it was um yeah i think it was the second i think it was the second goal it was just a one puck they just a, won a puck battle just won a puck battle right below the dots work the, the puck back up top yeah. of the d and that's when middlestead took the shot that ends up going to the net like it's it, it was little things like that where if the d wins that puck battle it's a one-on-one puck battle in the corner and if the d wins that and goes high glass of pucks out of his own puck doesn't go on the net then it's still a 3-2 game maybe it develops a little differently from there but th- there was a lot of of lost puck battles below the dots in the corners uh in in the defensive zone for bu that just it didn't allow them to clear the puck as probably efficiently as they had done earlier in the tournament and when they were able to get pucks on their stick with some time and space they did a pretty good job but like lane hudson is and don fensori are real good to get the puck out of the zone right um, especially when they had time and space but that was the one thing that Minnesota, especially the Minnesota top line, they didn't give them any time and space with the puck. It was even in the D zone. As soon as you wanted to go transition, there was a gopher you know, six there. inches from your.
1: Yeah, and I thought that that's a really great point you made in terms of what I liked about Minnesota's game as well. Is they had really good puck support, like so there was like layers, and like there there was just wasn't the lanes available for guys like Lane Hudson to wheel because you can't let him wheel right. Like, he just, yeah. he messes every, because everybody starts, the minute he starts a wheel, people start panicking, right? And Likely then so. <laughs> they, and they pull themselves out of position, and the best thing you can do is just stay calm. Um, and talking about that calmness, the one player that, from Minnesota, that really stood out to me, and it was a comment that I made with Mick um, on Thursday on XM, is he wanted some players to watch, and I said, you want to watch Brock Faber? And he's like, okay, Why? I'm like, because I think he's the best defensive defenseman in college hockey. And I think he has the capability of being that glue number three defenseman in the NHL who just, he, what he does is he destroys plays before they get to the top of the circle. You'll like, you might get enter the zone, but they, when they, it goes to him, it's a place to die. And what I love about his game is that he has, he, he doesn't make the first move versus the rush His Gaps are always very, very good. Excellent stick. Understands how to angle, and he just forces you to make the play first, and then he counterattacks, and he just destroys plays. Doesn't matter where they are on the ice. He just he wrecks plays. And to me, as much as all the flashy players from Minnesota, I really thought Brock Faber just came in and go said, "Man, hey, you guys aren't going to score more than two goals to game. Doesn't matter what our goaltender does. I'm just not going to let it happen." And it just didn't happen.
8: Yeah. And I think we, we've seen that a lot from him this year and he's even more effective, believe it or not, I think, because he's playing less, which sounds a little crazy, but you know, a year ago and two years ago, they weren't as deep on D Minnesota uh, and, and Bob Motzko talked about this after the game, they play seven defensemen every night and they play all of them. Yeah, You know, they, they play, it's not like there's one extra guy there who might be taken five or six minutes, They made a decision this year. We're going to play seven defensemen. So, And he brought up Faber's. You know, Faber's minutes went from about 30 a year ago. Which is crazy. Crazy. To like about 22, 23 this year. And it wasn't because, you know, anything he had done. It was just 30 minutes a game is too much.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It makes Uh, him far more effective. He just starts to run out of gas as they get towards the end of the season. And and
8: I think the fact that they've been able to – manage his minutes to the point where it's a little more normal you know that he's, yeah. he's not he, he's been even more effective than he was last year and, and he may have been the best defenseman defensive defenseman in college hockey last year and and it's just it's carried over into this year
1: you know i, and I know the la kings uh, made that trade and you know brock faber went to the minnesota wild And I, I know the LA Kings. You gotta, you gotta give to get. But they're gonna be, they may kick themselves, um, right in the nuts in about five years when he develops into that type of player. And you know, you know, Bill Guerin and of course Judd Brackett and his, you know, scouting staff were all over. We want like whatever. We're making a trade. Let's get Faber because he just. To me, regardless of what team he plays on, whether it was in the program or in Minnesota or when he turns pro, he's a linchpin defenseman. And Mm -hmm. those guys are actually really difficult to find where you can take other guys and let them match up. And he'll just he'll just take away the best. Just give me the best line. Who are the best line? (laughs) That's mine. That's, That's mine. And if he doesn't get it, he actually gets mad. I love that about him. He gets kind of pissed off. What do you mean I'm not matching up against the best line? Who else is going to do it? No, no, that's my job, right? So that's what it makes it. I think really makes him such a dangerous uh, defenseman is not because the points he puts up. And look, and he moves the puck super efficiently. That's okay. not. A, that's not like I'm not saying he's just. He just. He can't move the puck. He's really smart about moving the puck. It's just that it's really hard for me to find defensemen at that age that are so consistent with their habits. Exactly.
8: And that's the biggest thing It's because that's what these guys are all trying to establish at this age is getting into those good habits and not, not allowing bad habits to, to creep back into their game. Cause you're a younger player. You're trying to, these guys are still 20 something years old. They're still trying to learn this stuff. And uh, his, his habits defensively are, I mean, it, they're almost, I mean, they're NH already now. I'm like, yeah. if, you know, he'll have some fine tuning to do like, like any player does. Um, but you know, I, I think he could end up in the league pretty quickly because of how well he's able to shut teams down how smart he is in his gap control like it's he you
1: know, might he, he like, might play like, half a season in the american league and that's it
8: yeah exactly exactly there's going to be there's going to be an adjustment period there always is because the speed's going to be a, a much faster pace now i i think it's helped with the fact that he's played in the big 10 and he's played in the fastest paced league probably in college hockey yeah against a lot of guys that are also going to play in the nhl um that that's going to help but still there is still a step you got to take from and playing against NHL prospects to playing against established NHL players, and there'll, there'll be an adjustment period there. But I, I don't think he's going to be a guy that spends you know three years in the American League before he ends up on the on the NHL roster. He seems like a guy whose trajectory is, is going to get there, get him there pretty quickly.
1: I agree. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We'll come back. We'll continue to talk about the NCAA Frozen Four right after these messages.
4: Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics.
0: prospect news and analysis this is hockey prospect radio with shane Malloy and brad allen
1: we are back and powered by instat hockey offering the largest data and video library of players teams and leagues worldwide we're continuing to talk about the ncaa frozen four we'll talk about the quinnipiac michigan game now for selfish reasons, just because of draft-eligible players and drafted players, I did want Minnesota and Michigan to go against each other. But, however, I had certainly have a soft spot for Quinnipiac. And there, some of the reasons why is, one, I give credit to the coach. Now, Rand started with this university. They were a Div 3 team. He built them all the way up to Div 1. And it's turned this university hockey team into a bit of a juggernaut. Like, they're constantly competitive. They are always in the top when it comes to the ECAC. And they did it in a completely different model than anybody else in Hockey East or in the Big Ten or, you know, any of the the major universities because they can't compete to get the kids out of the U.S. national program. They can't get the best, you know, kids coming out of high school or the USHL they're not going to get those 17 18 year olds so they got to go out and recruit the kids out of like non non-trad- some non-traditional areas but the secondary kids a lot of kids out of canada the bc bc hockey league alberta junior hockey league they to go to europe and they've done an exceptional job of recruiting but also some older players guys who are like 19 20 so by the time they become sophomores or seniors you're playing against 22 23 sometimes even 24 year olds and then how do these younger teams or, you know, 18, 19, 20 compete against that? Mm-hmm. Um, on top of it, I love the way the Quinnipiac plays. They're a high tempo, high pressure. Like if you're going to beat them, you got, you have to beat them with a great play because they are all over you. Like they are like honey badgers. Like yeah. I, I love the way they play. It's high pressure, high and high intensity. And when they make contact, there's no like this little rub, and they skate away. They're there to hit you. They're going to wear you out. So I give them credit. You know, I give no, no, I give Michigan credit in this game. You know, Quinnipiac won, but Michigan held in there. Um, but I think it was just a matter of they just they were just too much strength, power, tenacity, and experience. On Quinnipiac for Michigan, even though they had the talent to overcome that, it's, they just it was a it was a more veteran team. It was like watching Tampa Bay beat somebody in the first round. You know, yeah. it was just like they're just going to like keep coming yet at waves, and sooner or later you're going to wear down, and then they're going to take you out.
8: And it's interesting because like everybody likes to talk about how how good they are defensively. They are they're probably yes. they're, the, they're the best defensive team in college hockey, and and I think people equate that to. Oh, they they trap. They sit back. Not at all. No, they don't.
1: They actually defend closer to Carolina Hurricanes, where they pressure you into making mistakes. Right? It's all funneling and pressure. And because they have they skate well and they have big bodies and they're very disciplined without off the puck, they force you into into mistakes. Yeah, and there were
8: people last night. Watching the game, that said, "Oh, they're going to sit." Once I got a lead, they're going to sit back in a one-four. Now I'm like, "No, they're then,
1: not." I then you've never watched play? them play.
8: Yeah. No, exactly, exactly. Uh, and I give them a lot of credit because they've recruited. They play a very specific style. They recruited a player that is willing to play that style. And and Rand Pecknell talked about that on Wednesday. Um, you know, he said his sons in 05. So he goes, I, I go out and watch my sons' games. And there's a lot of times where I'll text. He said he'll text Joe Dume, they're one of their assistants. I think their associate coach hey, this kid's pretty good. Like, we should recruit this kid. And, no, nope, nope, he's he's not going to play the way we want him to play. Like, he's not a bobcat. You're, you're going to yeah. pull your hair out if you have to coach him. So, like, they they recruit a very specific type of player. Yeah. Uh, and it's worked. And it's – honestly, I'm not – I mean, I know he's got a national championship to play for on Saturday. But it's it's amazing to me that, A, more teams aren't trying to copy what they're doing. Um, some teams are. You know, UMass Lowell, Minnesota State. Like, some teams are. Yeah. Um, but also – <laughs> We're getting ahead of ourselves here, but I'm surprised that none of the bigger jobs that open up, you don't hear his name brought up as much. You didn't hear Rand Pecknell brought up at Wisconsin. Why? Like, he's, well, he's got a team that's competitive every year. He, you know, like, it, I
1: agree 100%. Like, it's
8: just, it's weird to me that that doesn't happen.
1: I'm, um, I'm, ai really love when I see meritocracy at work when somebody has built a, built this up to a certain point and it's just like they're always in the dance. Like, his, he deserves a lot of credit. I really enjoyed talking to him when he was at the World Juniors coaching Mm -hmm. the U.S. team. Um, And I sat beside him for a couple games um, when USA wasn't playing. And it was just an interesting conversation about the style of play and the type of players. And it's not necessarily skill-based it's really mental and emotional attributes like yeah what he does is he looks for players who make good decisions not necessarily the best choice like best he makes they make the best choices not necessarily they're not the most skilled in terms of making the right you know decisions in terms of being the best high-end players but they always make great choices to sacrifice for their team. They'll take hits to make plays. They'll go into the corner to get pucks. They battle hard. They'll take hit. They'll go to the net and take punishment. They'll battle defensively in front of the net and they skate like their ass is on fire. Like I, you cannot, you can't come away watching that team and not be impressed with how they play and the commitment they have to each other.
8: Yeah, and they're fast paced. I mean, they're north south fast paced. I just like I get a chuckle out of the whole like oh they, they sit back and just trap you to death. It's like you haven't watched them play. That's not what they do at all, <laughs> you know. And and that's really been the biggest difference I think this year to last year because they were a very similar team last year, lost to Michigan in the regionals. I, I think the thing that got them over the hump this year against Michigan was the fact that they were a little bit older. Uh, they were able to push guys around a little bit. I mean, they made it hard. Michigan played well, yep. uh, but they made life difficult for, for them all night long. And they made life difficult for them. Even in the third period, you know, as they started to pour some pressure on a little bit, and I know there was one empty net goal there at the end, but like, that's where, again, it's a, ba- it's a battle of attrition. And after a while, you wear on a team and you wear on a team and you wear on a team. And what happens in the third period? That's where the floodgates open up a little bit. It seemed like that's what happened because Michigan had a pretty good push in the second. Could it be, I played really well at the start of the second period. I thought Michigan had a real nice push at the end of the second. Got that Fentilli goal about halfway through to tie the game. And you felt like, OK, maybe Michigan's going to get it rolling a little bit. But it was like the next shift out, just more, just pounding and pounding, like just chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And then they got to the third period. And, and that's kind of where they put the game away.
1: Right. Like Michigan, look, like I thought Adam Fentilli had a very good game, made some really nice plays, really tight, tried to take the team by the scruff of the net and uh, drag him through. Obviously, that goal by Seamus Casey was, oh, out, like outworldly. Like I sent a text off to, to Megan Duggan, the director of player development for the New Jersey Devils. I'm just like, Shaming Seamus Casey, wow. And she sent me back an emoji, just like, Oh my God. Right. Cause you know, there were some really great plays and great skilled and I thought they hung in there, but it just showed you the difference between a younger team that just couldn't handle the attrition and like the pace and the physical nature of the game that, you know, Quinnipiac, it wasn't just always banging and crashing, but Quinnipia's always on you. Like there's no yeah. safe, there's no soft lanes there's no free space. Like there's always a bobcat on you.
8: Yeah, I know uh I, w- I was talking to Scott Boric, my max coach, the other day. They played him in the first round. And he had said <laughs> the line he said was, you know, there's times where you're playing against them where you're you're on the bench and you're counting. Like they only have five guys out there, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because they just, it seems it seems like they're playing with six, seven guys in the ice because there's always someone in your face. Um, but it was just it was a funny line because he was like there was times I'm on the bench and they've only got five right <laughs> they get too many men right now Um, but that's what it feels like because there's always a body on you there's always someone in your face like you said there's no soft lanes it's hard it's hard to get the puck up ice against Quinnipiac which is what Michigan I thought struggled with at times last night when Michigan struggled it was it was on entries they weren't able to to enter the zone with numbers they did a couple of times they did right yeah. at the beginning of the third period they had a two-on-one off the draw shot the puck wide um So they only had a couple of, of odd man chances entering the zone and they weren't able to capitalize on them. And I don't even think there was a couple of them that didn't even hit the net, which I'm sure waking up this morning and going through on, on video that those are going to be the plays that if you're Brandon Morado, you sit there and go, man, if we just, we could have hit the net on, that. on that two-on-one. Don't, you know? Yeah, don't pick corners. <laughs> yeah, hundred
1: yeah, percent. So go, you know, got about 30 seconds left going into frozen four. like my heart is tugging for Quinnipiac because they're the small university that has, you know, consistently been there and they don't get all the best players. So that's mine. Um, thanks once again, Mike, for coming on the show. Always appreciate great insight on college hockey. And we're going to talk next week about the finality of the entire season. So look forward to look forward
4: to that. Sounds good. Thanks.
1: We'll take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. Stay tuned. We'll be back right after these messages.
4: Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. Trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat. Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics.
6: Welcome
0: to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're happy to bring on Patrick Williams and around the AHL segment, Uh, we are going to talk about the Milwaukee Admirals. I always find that name interesting because they're Admirals in Milwaukee. Not exactly like they're near the coast, but anyway. well they're
9: they're on the lake.
1: Um yeah, there's a lot
9: uh, of admirals uh, on the lake. fun okay. fact it's actually not named for that. Um, I know. It was I believe there's a furniture company named Admiral Furniture, and yep. somehow that was um yeah, yeah. So well, you know, there used to be two admirals in
1: the age <laughs> Which made it even funnier. You know, just like the Canadian football league with Rough Riders yeah. and Rough Riders. So yeah, yeah I used to yeah. love that as well. Let's <laughs> chat about you know, Milwaukee's a franchise with Nashville because we talked about, you know, these long standing relationships You're obviously, Providence Bruins or Washington Hershey, how integrated these two franchises have been for this amount of time and the success rate they've had in terms of development. They've had not great success, but good, consistent. They've just been consistent, haven't been great, but like they haven't had any rocky roads because. I just think admirals the admirals have been just a really good partner for them in that respect. Well, it's it's the third
9: third longest uh, AHL level affiliation in hockey right now. Only Providence and Hartford are, are longer. Uh, that's number one. Number two, it's the only affiliation that actually began in the IHL. Right. Um, so it goes goes back to show you just how 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 tight they are. I mean, it was back to 1998. Uh, the when Nashville team into the nhl they were together so uh and, and in some ways it made sense right like david poyle has been there uh, f- from day one barry trotz was a huge part of that that team for what 17 years you know before he left and now he's coming back um and there's just such a good trust level there right like you know it's kind of like they don't at this stage they almost
1: it's almost an autopilot
9: yeah, it's autopilot. Yeah, and that's that's unusual because usually uh, affiliations take a lot of, you know, finessing and nurturing along the years to, to build that, right? And then inevitably, they don't last long enough uh, to get that level of familiarity. But with Milwaukee and Nashville, there is that one. And, and on the, the Milwaukee side, they're very stable themselves in terms of their front office, uh, their people. So, the, you know, that trust level is very high.
1: How much do you think it's going to Make it easier in terms of transition So David Poils Like is moving on And Mm -hmm. the thought was Like you know it could have been Anybody else we could pick out any Other name that's qualified to be a GM in the NHL and plop them in there But it's it's Barry Trotz Mm -hmm. And how much do you think that Is such an advantage because of his Relationship with Milwaukee And being there and he sits like It's a trusted friend that just slides into the position. And I think from a player development standpoint, from an organizational standpoint of like, you don't have to build a relationship. That relationship's already intact.
9: Yeah. I mean, you know, like even Trotz has been away from Nashville for a number of years, but he's kind of a Nashville guy through and through. And, you know, he still lives there now. I mean, and very familiar with, with, With the formula that the Predators have had for now going on 25 years. Uh, Scott Nichols there. um, So he kind of is on the ground running things uh, in Milwaukee uh, on behalf of Nashville. So um, Carl Taylor's the head coach. He's been there for a number of years now. Um, You know, and then you just look at the history, right, of who's come through there, right? Like Shane Weber came through there, Yusei Soros. Rene Roman Yosi. I mean,
1: ninety percent of players. their players came through so there. So you look
9: at like, I mean, there's just such a such a level of um, commitment there, but also, you know, if you're if you're a national player, you pretty much all but know I'm going through Milwaukee at some point, right? And so there's the buy-in level uh, from the players that that they know that this is this is part of the path toward becoming a full timer. In Nashville. So uh, I think you get a lot of uh, that that buy-in from all three parties, the players, Nashville management, and the Milwaukee side of things. And it's just a really strong relationship as a result.
1: Well, and I, th- I think that extends out to, you know, the player agents and the players mm-hmm. that they draft and free agents, um, whether it's like a college free agent, a CHL free agent, a free agent from Europe, knowing that this is our organizational philosophy, you're going to spend some time here. Everybody's done it. Mm-hmm. So when you say Roman Yossi did this and Pekka Rene did this, and you know all these other players have done this before you, all these all stars, you can't say no, right? How, like as a player, as an agent, you you can't say no because one they have the track record of success, and two, how can you say no when you see Soros or like Roman Yossi have said yes? You can't, right? You just yeah. can't. So that's what I mean. I I think that has massive influence and power from that standpoint as well for buy-in from that respect. Let's talk about the buy-in and building of the legacy of the Ontario reign of the LA Kings farm system. And, you know, LA Kings have had a long history of excellent success in drafting development success or one of the top five teams in the league for the last 15 to almost 20 years. Uh, talk about that relationship of them moving over to specific division, but how things have developed, developed with their player development department, their coaching staff, and then obviously the business staff in Ontario, because it looks like a really well-oiled machine that could emulate, you know, the Hersey's of the world, the Milwaukee's and the Providence's as this relationship continues.
9: Yeah, I think I think that's a good point. I think, yeah, we're, we could be sitting here in 10, 15 years saying, you know, the same thing that we just said about Milwaukee, about uh, Ontario, you know, it's such an integrated uh, operation that they, they, they practice under the same roof as, as the L.A. Kings players. kind of an interesting fact the players actually all live in the L.A. market and they just commute out to Ontario, which is,
10: you know, give, give or take, you know, with
9: L.A. traffic. Right. An hour or so away. Um, So it just that level of familiarity. And you're working with a lot of the same staff that Anze Kopitar and Drew Dally are working with as the own player. Right. So um, there's that, uh, it was, it, they were such a huge part of bringing the AHL to the West coast, right. You know, they were, they were in Manchester. Um, they actually won the Calder cup, the final year in Manchester before coming to Ontario. And I think having that, having Ontario, having a, you know, the LA teams involved really anchored a lot of that move um, for the entire league. Cause I mean, Five teams came over that year. Um, another five have, have followed uh, subsequent years. So um, it was it was a huge part of making that whole massive change come to fruition. And show um, the LA Kings were really serious. Like they've invested a ton of money, a ton of personnel into that
1: operation in
9: Ontario. And, you know, as we've seen through the years, it's really paid off. They draft really well, but they also develop really well.
1: Yeah, it's an integrated process. One of the interesting things is I, like we often don't talk about that the LA Kings in many respects, although Ontario was an hour away in terms of games, mm-hmm. the practice facilities, all the player development is all under the same roof, which would be no different if, it, if the same situation as Toronto or Winnipeg yeah. or you know the Vancouver Canucks or now the Calgary, Calgary Flames and any other team who has their San Jose Sharks. LA is exactly the same. Right. And you don't normally think about that because you assume everything's in Ontario and mm-hmm. it's just games in Ontario. But structurally, they're exactly the same. And that's a massive advantage for Ontario because their players are going to be better. And the coaching staff is going to be better because they have the collective group of the entire organization in one place. Yeah,
9: it's funny. I was talking to Cameron Johns, the defenseman there. He's 13 year pro. He's He's been around. He's seen all the different you know, different ways to develop players and a way to to configure your affiliation. You know, it's, it's funny you said like, you know, this is not your typical minor league experience. You're living in LA, you know, he's, he commutes every day through LA traffic to practice, um, you know, kind of the whole, you know, you know, the rents are higher. So, you know, it forces players to really learn how to
2: budget their money and
9: and manage that aspect, the office aspect. Um, Obviously, if you're at L. A., there's a lot of distractions, you know, a lot of things are sort of, you know, it's not a kind of a typical minor league type market. So, yeah, it really does get you ready um, to be a future Los Angeles game and to uh, get a sense of what that whole experience is going to be like, but without you know having to do so at the NHL level on the fly. So it's uh, it's an interesting setup they have. I, I think it's going to be uh, in place for a long time. The team is well supported. It's just
1: well, machine. Yeah, I'm really into. I, I'm. All, I was always intrigued because there was some people who had left the organization. Michael Connell um, had moved on. He's just, you know, obviously doing advisory and consulting with Philadelphia. But he was really the mainstay of their player development department. But then he helped mentor the next generation that currently work in their player development department. And it was like it was just almost like a seamless transition because of that talk a little bit about like how important it is to have that mentorship along as you, for your player development staff.
9: Well, yeah, you, you looked at, um, uh, on the development side, right. You know, the, the Kings have brought in a lot of their alumni.
1: Yeah. You know, and, Jared stole yeah, and, and greener yeah, on defense and on a daily basis, one-on-one
9: with players. So imagine like you're a young 20 year old defenseman, maybe you're going through kind of, you know, the ups and downs of being a rookie in this league and, um, now you can work with somebody who played in the NHL, right? Like, you know, somebody that played there five to ten years even, right? And uh, it's, it's such a great advantage. I mean, you know, you even that it's been up to Marco Sturm now, the new head coach there. Um, you know, he was a player, you know, he played, what, 15 years plus in the NHL? Uh, so it's not uh, your typical experience in terms of, um, you know, you're you're working with, you know, some real heavy NHL experience there in Ontario. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, uh, they've really invested heavily, right? Like, it's, 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 they don't cut any quarters, uh, the LA Kings with that operation. And, um, as a result, I mean, I, I think that's why you see those players, they, they end up, you know, churning a lot of them through the system, going up to LA or even going somewhere else as well.
1: 100%. Uh, once again, Patrick, thank you very much for uh, coming on the show. Uh, stay tuned uh, for the next segment. We'll have Patrick uh, continue to talk about the American Hockey League right after these messages.
4: Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide, trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information. Instat. The Institute of Statistics.
6: Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players. Outside Edge Hockey Development operates all programs on the philosophy of quality over quantity. Our strength, skills, and mental coaches understand the demands of the game and use this knowledge to develop strength, speed, and energy systems so our athletes can reach their potential. The Outside Edge programming features KPI-based strength and conditioning programs skating, and skill development sessions for pro, junior, midget, phantom, and peewee. Contact us today at outsideedge.ca.
0: You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: We are back in power by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're continuing to talk about... The American Hockey League with Patrick Williams. Patrick, let's roll over to Providence. And I know on this show, you and I reference Providence often because they really are a model franchise in the American Hockey League in terms of the number of players they produce into the NHL is one. And, you know, if you look historically through the salary cap era, you know, 06 to 15, they're in, I think they're 8th or 7th in that range off the top of my head because I don't have it in front of me. But then also the number of coaches that go on into the NHL is a high number. Might be you know in the last fifteen years, might be five or six. And then the number of executives that mo- keep moving up the chain—that it just—it seems to be, you know, a factory for NHL professionals, regardless regardless of what whether you're a player, or a coach, or management. It's you impressive. Look
10: at
9: yeah, you look at, like, the Boston roster, right? And I'm not even going to include purchase Spurs around because that was the lockout year. But you could include – he went through Providence that year. But, you know, you look at the guys that have come through there. Jake DeBrus, Trent Frederick, uh, David Krejci, Brad Marchand, um, uh, David Pasternak came through there, uh, Connor Clifton did, Matt Greslick.
1: Uh, Brendan Carlo. Brendan
5: Carlo. Yeah, uh, on and on.
9: School. Swayman went through there, you know, like, so – And that's just the players. Now you talk, like you said, the coaches, right? You know, like, it's just such a well-oiled machine. It's the longest run-in affiliation in the entire American Hockey League. It goes back to 92, 93. Um, It's one of those affiliations where you never even hear speculation or anything about, like, well, maybe Boston and Providence might split up. Like, it's just, they're a given, you know? Like, I mean, so... um, you know, it makes a ton of sense logistically, right? Like, the team in Providence is really good fan support. Um, You know, the fan bases obviously are really one and the same. You're a Providence Bruins fan. You're also a Boston Bruins fan, most likely. Yeah. Uh, and just well-resourced. Like, you know, there's there's a you know, really good, strong development staff uh, that works one-on-one with the players in Providence. Uh They, they don't cut any corners there, and, you know, if you're Boston, right, like Boston's been a contender now for the better part of like 15 plus years, right? And so they don't necessarily need, you know, high impact players coming up, but they need players that can, you know, two or three every year that can maybe fill in a spot on the roster, give you some cap, uh, ease of the cap a little bit, the pressure on uh, on that. Uh, and that's what Providence does. Every year it seems like they have a couple, you know, two or three guys that are able to come up and, um, fill in those roles uh do it cheaply and um uh, this year's team is no different right you don't even just look at net you look at brandon Bussy, you look at kyle kaiser two undrafted players um for my money maybe the best goal any tandem in the league right now providence is is, is one two right now with hershey for the eastern conference lead and i think really is the best team in the east and um I think it's really the team to beat uh, going through the quarter playoffs.
1: I find it really interesting in the fact that like you look at their history in terms of management, like John Mm -hmm. Ferguson Jr. was there for five years. And prior to that, you know, you had Don Sweeney and and then Peter Shirelli, and it's like, they're long jumps, like four or five year increments of guys being there. So when you get a handoff, like the consistency is always there in terms of the management staff. And now, you know, Evan Gold and Jamie Langebrunner um, are running Providence. Like, so this is now their second year of doing that. Now that John Ferguson Jr. went off to Arizona, but it's the same with their coaching staff. Mm-hmm. The coaching staff yeah. generally, like the group of them, is generally there for five years. And then maybe, you know, somebody like moves on because they get an opportunity in the NHL, like Jay Leach and all, and like the list of obviously just recently. And now... Yeah. Now we have new coaching, but those guys yeah. were also assistant coaches for a long time, for five or six years before they move up, and they just add one piece. And it just seems to be this consistent continuity that I'm really Very impressed.
9: seamless, yeah. Yes. Yeah, Leach is in Seattle, probably a really good candidate for a future head coaching job. Now we have Ryan Mourjonelle coming up uh, through Providence. That was a
1: long-time assistant coach there.
9: Long-time assistant, yeah. He came up uh, really highly, highly respected by his players. They love him. Everyone, you, you don't get one bad word about Ryan Bushnell. I think he's another guy I'd expect to see in a few years really make a good push for an NHL job. Just you know, they, they have that that steady, consistent um, approach that you know served them well now for thirty years.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, I want to talk about Rochester too before we have to get going, and it's really interesting because we saw a lot of upheaval and inconsistency. I mean, really, the polar opposite of Providence was Rochester for like the last 10 years. Yeah. And now we're starting to see what, remember what Rochester was like when we first started years ago. Yeah, Right. Like if you look at from like 2000, 2001 to, you know, for a good decade, they were a model franchise. And they, they were
9: Providence before Providence.
1: Right. Yeah. And then they, f- things fell apart and then for a good decade, and now they're starting to get it back. And it, you know, really, you know, you have to give credit to, know, the the management staff in Buffalo of coming in and go, okay, these are the people we need to run this franchise. Here's our coach. It's specifically for development. Yes, we want to win games, but let's go find somebody who understands how to develop younger players. And then our management staff, we're just going to have people who have done this before. We're going to go hire people to run it, like as an assistant general manager who has experience in that. So what we need is steady hands again just really basically is emulate what providence has done not
9: not a bad example to follow and so they brought in seth Appert. uh yeah back in 2020 so you have a you know he had almost 20 years of coaching experience at the college level and then somebody that worked at the national development team program uh for the for usa hockey um so working with i mean like the best of the best of the young prospects, you know, the guys that are going top five, top 10 in the NHL draft, you know, he's working with those guys. And so now you bring him into Rochester. They had Jack Quingle through there, JJ Paterka uh, this year. Now they have uh, Yuri Kulish, uh, you know, uh, uh, Isaac Rosine, you know, just all these, like, like they're very comfortable now putting first round picks in Rochester, even at like at 18 or 19 years old.
1: And it never athletes. was like that before.
9: Yeah, it was. Yeah, and, and having a guy like Apert that's got that, uh, that ability to work with the elite top tier talent, you know, and guys that aren't even 20 years old, um, has, I think, really kind of given a real, you know, shot in the arm for, for, for the whole Buffalo development system. And you're right. they it took them a long time to turn around. For, for the longest time, it felt like Rochester was just spinning their wheels not developing players, not winning either. So you kind of get the worst of both worlds there for Buffalo. And, it, and eventually, you know, that's going to catch up with you at the NHL level, right? And it did with Buffalo. We saw what Buffalo went through for years. And it it, it takes a while to get the pieces back in place. But now I think they finally are on the right path. And you're really starting to see it pay off. Right? Now you you send a Paterka up there and he's ready to go, right? Like he's he's polished. he's He's NHL ready and um, he steps in the lineup and then you don't see him come back. And I think that, that's, that's the ideal, right? Like if you can get those players, right. And now you're seeing, even starting to see them like a Brandon Byro who's for my money, one of the top uh, two-way centermen in in the entire HL guy that signed as a free agent out of Penn state, you know, really nobody thought much of at the time, but he's really become such a top, top player now pushing i think next year for a job in buffalo so aforts done a fantastic job there uh, with the development uh, side of things and, you know and then once you just start developing then the winning follows right and then you get your players in that winning culture you get that competition internally right which is that's when you really that's when you really start to see things take off when guys are pushing each other right like you know, for, for, for playing time in, in with the AHL team. And so you're seeing that now. Rochester's, you know, steadily improving each year. Now, if they can go, they went on a little bit of a playoff run last year. If they can go on another one this year and get those young guys some of that extra, um, that postseason pressure, I think that would be ideal for them this year.
1: Yeah. I was in conversations with Adam Mayer, who's their director of player mm-hmm. development. And it was really in the conversations we had with him, it was just the focus of just making sure your processes, are consistent and that you're adapting to the player and not the player adapting to you as a, as, as a coach, because everybody learns a different way and about providing all the players and the coaching staff and everybody works in conjunction with each other, not these silos. And Mm -hmm. that, you know, that made a huge difference. Having a steady hand, like Jason Carmanos comes, comes into the fold as well. And to manage that, you know, and keep us close eye on how things are moving forward. And, I think that just made a huge difference in terms of just you have steady hands throughout your organization and understanding what's like, what's your goal? Your goal is to develop players, and winning is great too. But it's really about if we don't develop players, it, you know, it doesn't matter. Like we're just going to be struggling. So for me, I just think, you know, adding those types of play- people who are, you know, seasoned professionals who are steady hands and are going to be consistent and understand what the processes really mean. I think that's really critical. But uh, once again, Patrick, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. Really appreciate the insight and look forward to speaking to you next week.
9: Thank you. We're
1: going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We'll be back right after this.
4: Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide, trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat InStat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com slash hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics.
6: Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on and off ice development programs for hockey players.
0: Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio.
1: Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. This is Hockey Prospect Radio, powered by Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to another level at League.com. We're now speaking with Stephen Gertzen, the president of Silent Ice Sports and Entertainment. Stephen, thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it.
11: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me on, Shane.
1: So what I want to talk to you about is this new facility that you're building in Edmonton South, you know, and on the website, it call you call it a rink. But once I saw the video, I actually started to laugh to myself. I'm like, no, this is a facility. Like, it's it, what it sort of reminded me from when watching the video is the Pittsburgh Penguins have their practice facility in Cranberry Township, where the USHL does their uh, tournament at the beginning of the season, and it looked almost identical in many respects. So the fact that your academy and the junior hockey prospect league is building something of that size and that complexity, you know, and obviously with all the amenities that you would find, not just in a junior hockey uh, organization, but really in an American league or NHL facility um, is really impressive. And it shows, to the level of commitment that your organization has in building the junior, you know, prospect hockey league moving forward.
11: Yeah. Like we're, we're super excited about it. It's, it's a little bit of a game changer for us. I mean the, the facility itself, I I got a tour of it the other day. It's, it's coming along really, really, really nicely. And, and uh, you know, just when you drive up to it, there's a, there's an oh wow kind of factor uh, just in, in driving up and um, really, really impressive. I mean, uh, the details that have kind of gone into it—it's—it's um, it's exciting. I think um, for us as an organization, you know, we're fortunate enough to have, you know, a great ownership group that uh, is truly passionate about the game and wants to give back uh, to the game of hockey as as much as they can. And and for us, you know, we've we've been kind of looking for a home in in terms of uh, you know our independent uh, hockey uh, and our academy hockey uh, leagues. And, uh, you know, this is definitely going to check off that box for us.
1: In terms of, you know, how complex it is to put a facility like this together and then looking at all the needs. So traveling around a little bit and then looking at different facilities, what were some of the things that really jumped up to you saying, we need to have this for our athletes and for our staff, you know, to give them the greatest chance to be successful? you know, in their pursuits and, you know, pushing through their hockey careers.
11: Yeah. I think like the, the exciting part is, is like, you know, it's, it's been designed by guys that really know the game of hockey and, and can understand. And obviously our ownership that engineers um, both of them. So they kind of check off again, those, those boxes um, in terms of of their vision. Um, But I think it all goes back to kind of the athlete experience and the, um, the experience kind of walking into the ranks and the corridors and the lead, the lead up of the stairs and then you know when when you when you get into the main stadium uh, event center there it kind of it's it's really about uh creating the uh you know the culture uh, uh around uh, the facility and and the athlete experience the family experience um like like you said Shane like um there's there's nothing that's really been left off to the side everything's been been put into it um you know we have uh a, a nice restaurant that looks uh looks over both uh both of the facilities on on either side uh that's really going to give some really good uh visualization there um you know we we are independent hockey leagues and uh, you know we have broadcast uh broadcasted events and and things like that so that's all all obviously been highly considered in terms of um you know the production and the entertainment side of things um that we can provide for families that can't be there um and just different unique experiences that again that we kind of give back to those athletes so um you know the the dressing rooms obviously we have pro style dressing rooms and workout facilities there um you know just just overall it's it's super exciting. And, and again, it kind of goes back to, um, you know, the, the the give back a little bit in terms of, uh, you know, having that exciting culture, you know, our, our, um, our showcases, for example, over the weekends, you know, in our hockey super league or our junior prospects hockey league, you know, there's a bit of a buzz around the ranks and, and uh, players get to know one another. It's not, um, you're not coming into a, uh, coming into a rink and having one game and then leaving and then, uh, go off to another rink. Uh, you play, you know, three, four games over a weekend. You kind of hang around the rink and you get to you know, meet, meet or talk to other families or the coaches talk to one another. And, and there's a little bit of a camaraderie there and, and a bit of a cultural piece there, which is which is really exciting. And obviously, you know, in our integrated model, um, you know, the, the purpose of it is to have athletes and families stay together for longer periods of time as well. So, when, when you do that and you put that and we've been looking for a home um, you know, this, this, it means a lot to us. I can't underestimate how much it, it means to us and how excited we are, you know, to have a little bit of a home for that, for that family feel um, and that excitement around the rink.
1: Two of the things that really jump out to me really first off is what this statement says to potential players want and parents wanting to have their children, and, and their young men come into, you know, your academies and, and to work with your teams and be a part of, of the, you know, junior uh, hockey, pros, you know, junior prospect hockey league. To, Cause to me, it's just, it's a wow factor of this is a professional run organization. We're going to do things at the elite level and we're willing to put the budget in and the resources in to ensure that like, if, I was a parent with a young kid coming in and for the first time looking at those facilities, you'd almost be God gobsmacked by the fact that, look, what are you walking into an NHL facility? I mean, I don't think I've seen an Academy with that potential in terms of that kind of like, uh, I guess the best way to say is you know, is to to say that it's just something that will jump out and really set you guys apart from anything else that I've seen.
11: Yeah, I think I think you know the exciting part is is like for our junior prospect hockey league, um, you know we have teams like and and our and our hockey super league. We have teams that you know we have partners, good people uh, across. You know, not only Western Canada, but you know those those relationships and those people are are expanding. You know, in, into the U.S. and in, out out to Eastern Canada, and to be able to bring them in um, to to one spot and really again goes back to that that experience is is uh, is super exciting. I mean, it's right close to the airport, right? So if there's people that are flying in, it's it's right next door to the airport, very accessible, obviously for anyone uh, in 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 the nor- in northern Alberta, um, but also you know coming from Calgary. You we know, we have teams travel up from Calgary each and every weekend for different events, but you know it just being that side that 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 kind of prime location in terms of you know it's only two and a half uh, hours away almost from from Calgary now. Um, it just it it just brings brings things together and and it unifies um you know what we're what we're trying to do and at the end of the day um you know like i said we're 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 out, outside of the box uh thinkers and and we want to create something and create something that's different and unique and special um for the families and that obviously includes um you know, from, from the youngest age groups uh, all the way up, you know, we're excited to, you know, look at expanding into the, the, the female world. And we have a lot of great female athletes as well that, um, that do play in, in, in both of our leagues. But, um, you know, a lot of those things that you want to do, sometimes you can't do it or you're, you're, you're restricted by facility. And, um, you know, so we're excited uh, that we, we really feel like we're still just getting started now with having access to this facility.
1: One of the other advantages I find as well as there's a central point for all the talent evaluators and scouts out there, you know, obviously coaches from NCAA teams, general managers, assistant GMs, directors of scouting from Western Hockey League teams can come in, come into the facility during tournament time and it's a one place they have to go. They don't have to go anywhere else. They can just simply just drop in right from the airport. And I can't tell you as like someone who goes out and scouts, how like important that is. And also the quality of your broadcast feed, like someone that watches a lot of video. And then, you know, we do a lot of data, you know, analysis based on that, that quality of that broadcast feed is absolutely critical because the days of staring at grainy film, like have to be over. And that is, it makes a huge difference in terms of evaluating players. And it's, I think it's a competitive advantage as well for your athletes when you have that. So other people can watch them play with that level of like quality of broadcast. I think is critical.
11: Yeah. And, and I totally, I totally agree, Shane. Like when we, you know, especially when we looked at, you know, the creation of the junior prospects hockey league, you know, we wanted to make sure that it was, the, the best of the best of the best. And and one of those things was definitely um, you know, the, the broadcaster, that experience, you know, from a scouting perspective, obviously, you know, we want to centralize the showcases as much as possible, make it easily accessible for um for all the scouts to be there. You know, we we put in a lot of detail to make sure that the scouts when they come into the rink, that we treat them well and that um, you know, they know where they're going and and uh you know yes. they're treated well well they're there make sure you yeah, feed them Yeah, make sure you feed you know hockey players they need full bellies right to be be in good mood so make sure make sure you feed them and uh our group knows that better than anyone but um you know, we treat treat them properly, you know, make sure that they're ex- excited um, to to be in the facility alongside everyone else. And when they're not there, like you said, um, you know, a lot of the scouts and the resources that, you know, in in the NCAA and Western leagues and things like that, it's, it's competitive. Sometimes you don't always have full access. You can't always be there face to face or you want to check the game film. And, you know, if it's a stand up camera that's sitting at the red line, you know, sometimes you can't quite see. Um, exactly what that was and it's and it's harder to you know get a gauge on where the player is at to, um, in in terms of their their skills and what they're what they're doing the little details that you need to see and uh, sometimes having those you know two or three uh, more camera angles and not only camera angles but at someone that's broadcasting that knows that uh, you know um players on a three-game heater and uh, you might not know that uh, until you listen to the broadcast and you want to listen along a little bit more all those things like you said uh, definitely are um, competitive advantages and also um, really nice for the for the traveling families when they they want to feel like they're a part of it you know the other unique thing is obviously um, you know with us being independent we can do things you know we, we don't have as much red tape and things. So we, we can be cre- creative outside of that. You know, if we have a, a guy, uh, the white rabbit on the ice that you kind of see in, in some of the, the world junior events and stuff like that, like we can do that um, for certain events just to add uh, the extra experience and the extra different uh, camera views that can make it kind of special.
1: Steven, want to thank you very much for coming on our show. Really appreciate the insight and I look forward to speaking to you in the future.
11: Okay, thanks Shane, appreciate you having me. That's
1: right, Stephen Gertzman. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. We'll be back right after these messages.
4: Instat Hockey offers the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide, trusted by leagues, teams, coaches, and scouts at every level of the game. There is no better choice than Instat to help in the areas of evaluation, development, and exposure for your brand. Their unmatched database saves coaches and scouts hours of time as individual player shifts and stats are pre-cut into separate playlists. Also, the option to edit, share, or download your own clips using Instat's video editing tools. Visit instatsport.com hockey today for more information. Instat, the Institute of Statistics.
6: Outside Edge has built a reputation for guiding hockey players toward their potential and provides on- and off-ice development programs for hockey players.
0: Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: We are back on Hockey Prospect Radio, powered by Instat Hockey, offering their largest video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're happy to bring on Dave Pullin from our Behind the Curtain segment. And Dave, uh, the topic this week is how much does the playoff performance for prospects matter from a management perspective, because I know sometimes you get a small sample size, guys are knocked out in the first round, and sometimes there's longer runs, and sometimes if it's college, it's single elimination games. So, how much do you take into that and weight it based on you know versus the regular season games that they have?
10: Well, this sounds crazy, Shane, but I don't hold it against them if they're not there. I mean, right? They, of course, you, know, you would love them to be in you know, playing for a good team and be able to play in playoff situations but just through circumstance some of them just don't get that opportunity so as crazy as it may seem and it's not a contradiction they're not blamed if they're not there right if they are there and don't perform well (laughs) that's a different story right you you want them to play well when they're in the big spotlight you know you and I have talked about kids that play up all the time And, you know, the eight year olds are playing with 10 year olds because they can't, of course they can't, but at some point I want them to be the dominant player. I want them to know what the feeling is to have to go out on the ice and score the goal. And quite frankly, I didn't get that until I played the one year in Europe between college and the NHL. And Ted Sater was my coach in, in Rogla over in the Swedish first division and he said to me you have to lead the league in scoring and then no one had ever told me that before and and he said i don't mean assists i mean goals and and i didn't consider myself a goal scorer so until that pressure was put on me and i didn't even know if i could respond to that what did that mean but i think when you do get i i love the playoff format You and I have also discussed, Jane, that one of the most dangerous things can be GMs who are knocked out early, who go out to scout and make the decisions based on the last two weeks or the last three weeks because they fall in love with somebody. And and that's always dangerous. So you you want the full body of work. But if there's a game seven, do I want to see how someone responds? Absolutely, I do. Because I'm hoping at the highest level, I'm going to put him in the environment when he's playing in a game seven. And I want to be able to understand what that pressure is to feel the pressure, to know that to win a game is to continue to play, and to lose a game is to go home, and to see how he responds in that in the ultimate pressure of a game seven. But yeah. yet you also can't hold it against him if he, you know, if he's from Yorkton and they don't have a great tier two team, <laughs> that's who he's playing for.
1: Yeah. Well, a hundred percent. The other thing I always look at is. I try to when I watch the players in those situations, I'm looking for indicators like emotional, mental, like like attributes of how they react to situations, how they react to their teammates, their body language, how they discuss, you know, if they have discussions with the coaching staff on the bench, what's that like? And, you know, I think that like the calmness around that player, I think really matters. I'm always looking for those little tidbits when I'm watching the games, as much as I like to see the production, I want to see the process first because good habits lead you to success. It doesn't always result in success, but over time, it's going to result in a higher degree of success.
10: Right. And I think some people are very fortunate because they have circumstances through maybe geographical or maybe just placement where they play for really good teams and they play with really good players and they get to, to get the moniker of a winner. And, and while that's a great moniker, it's not a standalone moniker. You may be a winner because you were born in the right town or with the right age group or (laughs) you're with the right team.
1: And that may not, absolutely like the team is successful. That doesn't necessarily mean you as an individual are successful and a winner.
10: Right. And yet, you know, when the pressure's on, it's a tie game late in the game. I'm I watching. And I, I think it's always – I always enjoyed sitting across the bench, Shane, and watching what goes on in the bench, watching the player when he goes back to the bench after a shift. Exactly what you just talked about, watching the interaction with his teammates. Somebody's just made a bad pass to him. How does he handle it? Does he pout about it, or does he does he go to the person and give him a pat on the pads and say, hey, I need a better pass next time? Because that's okay. It's yeah. okay to challenge your teammates in a positive manner. So sitting across the bench, you can learn a lot as well in scouting or recruiting simply from sitting across the bench, watching what goes on between shifts, watching if the players ready to go on the ice. You know, watch what happens at the start of a shift on a change on the fly. Like, is that player playing the game before he steps on the ice? And the smart ones are. The smart ones have already immersed themselves in the exact role that they're going to be stepping into when the player they change for comes off the ice.
1: Yeah, it's not just a reaction. They're actually playing mental chess about what and what what's happening next, and this is what I need to do, and you know, as the game flows, and that's what makes this game you know exceptionally challenging, especially in the playoffs when it's high pace. And I always look for players as well. Is there's good decisions, and then there's good choices, and I learned that from Dave King, longtime national team coach, and you can make a really smart pass to your teammate and that's a really good decision. But then do you take a hit to make a play? Do you block that shot? Do you have to go to the net and just, you know, you're going to get hammered, but you got to go anyway because you got to drive that net and produce a scoring opportunity. I'm always looking for the players that make good choices and in good choices. Sometimes you take a physical, punishment for that.
10: Well, we talked about that commitment last night with Michael Pizzetta. Yeah. He was coming out of the zone. He had a chance to pop it in the neutral zone and go get it. But there was a risk attached to that of not clearing the blue line. He was on the wrong side of the ice. And he got walloped. Absolutely walloped. But the bottom line is the puck was out of the zone. So, you know, he he knew it was going to be one or the other. He was going to get it out 100% and take the hit. Or there was a 50-50 chance he got it out and was able to continue to play. And in that case, at the blue line, the defensive blue line, it was early in the game, he took an enormous hit and popped right back up and kept playing. So the right decision was made there, um, for sure in the right play.
1: Yeah, and that's that's what I always find really fascinating is the people who make the good choices because in the playoffs, choices become more prevalent. You can get away with making not taking a hit to make the play and doing some like some of the greasy things in the regular season. Well, in the playoffs, you can't get away with that. You just can't. You know, and the teams that win, I always find are the ones who have the players who make the really tough choices. And they make smart decisions with the puck, of course, and they're skilled, but tough choices. I like those are the teams that end up winning. And they're not always there's l- no question. There's yeah. no
10: question. You've had a couple of cases lately though where, you know, speaking of not holding someone responsible, I think there's been two cases of defensemen um, who had very little to any playoff pedigree, Zach Bagosia being one who went to Tampa Bay and won the Cup. And, of course, Ron Haynes, who hadn't played a playoff game yeah. in his entire career when he was added to the Pittsburgh Penguins roster in a series of injury, you know, means he's thrust into the spotlight. He wins the Cup, then he becomes a winner. And, yeah. and then he extends that into Toronto and Ottawa and a couple more years on his career through no fault of his own. He hadn't played in the playoffs. When he did get there, he was certainly capable of performing
1: Dave, want to thank you very much for coming on the show again. Great insight of this topic. Uh, This has been another episode of Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio, powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide, and Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. Don't forget you can listen to the show on your favorite podcast network if you happen to miss it on uh, SiriusXM NHL Network Radio and on our YouTube channel. You can follow us on Twitter at HP Radio and at HockeyProspectRadio.com. Thank you for all our guests, and we will see you at the rink.